Welcome to the CodeCast Podcast. Real-world insights for your daily medical coding and billing processes. And now, here's your host, Terry Fletcher. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CodeCast Podcast. Today, my name is Terry Fletcher. This is episode 257, and we want to bring you some information with regard to the 2023 ICD-10-CM changes. So they take effect on October 1st, so just in about a week and a half, and I thought it would probably be a good idea to probably take a look. I have a webinar on it as well if you need the PowerPoint and the materials, but I'm just going to give you kind of a snapshot of what you'd be looking at starting on October 1st. So just a comparison, for 2023 we actually have a lot of new codes. So we have a total of 73,630, and that's the total amount of codes that we have in the ICD-10-CM manual. So for 2023, which starts again October 1st, we have 1,175 new codes. So to put that in perspective, in 2022, we had 153 new codes. So somebody went crazy and said, oh my gosh, let's have all these new codes. And just so you know, they really, I don't want to say picked on, but let's just say that OBGYN got a ton of new codes. So we have to make sure we're really focused on that category as well. Deleted codes are 288 as opposed to, to last year we had 30. And then 28 revised codes as opposed to last year we had 22. So the most of the changes for their impact um, from what I've seen is injuries, poisonings, um, some consequences of external causes, external causes of morbidity, morbidity, I always say that, and musculoskeletal system chapters. Um, and then again, GU codes were expanded to also accommodate right, left, and bilateral organs, such as ovaries, for several diagnoses. But what I saw in some of the um, OB-GYN stuff is, is actually kind of crazy. So just keep that in mind as you're looking through, and depending on um, your specialty, you're going to need to know what you need. But I was just really surprised. And then a shout out also to Christine Hall. I was listening to uh, her LinkedIn live podcast that she did. And one thing I thought she found interesting was on um, when we're looking at, uh, let's say, recurrencies or anything like that, you're looking at chronic, episodic, or recurrent. And I thought that was different when you're looking at some of the directions. So a couple of the significant changes. And so, and I'm not going to get into some of the mundane ones. You'll be able to find those, but I thought these were important. So respiratory acidosis that's documented as acute is now J96.02, acute respiratory failure, failure with hypercapnia and documented as chronic will now code to J96.12, chronic respiratory failure with hypercapnia. So they also used a code, an E-code, E87.2, acidosis. So that change actually makes a little more sense clinically. Um, one of the things that they added to loss of consciousness, status unknown to the head injury codes, they didn't have that before. So now they have an S06.0XA and concussion with loss of consciousness, status unknown. Um, we had some up updates to the cardiac area for complications of cardiac grafts and devices. 
So for example, fibrosis affecting the cabbage graft, which is a coronary artery bypass graft, that's now coded to T82.827. And typically complications are in the injury two section. So you want to really make sure you're kind of noticing that. Now fibrosis due to cardiac prosthetic devices, implants and grafts, and not T82.828 um, fibrosis due to vascular prosthetic uh, devices, implants and grafts as it was previously. So make sure you are looking at that 8.827, not 828. Um, another thing that I thought was interesting is that in the documentation of care guidelines, uh, they put in there this was expanded to state that physician does not have to explicitly, exp God, I cannot talk today, explicitly document the term complication to use those codes, which I thought was interesting. So there's going to be a lot of inference there, which I wasn't sure. Now, one of the biggest changes to me, because I think that we don't use social determinants of health enough when reporting, but here's the thing, and this is really big for you HCC coders out there. So, and this is, I'm quoting from the official guideline changes, it says these SDOH codes, so social determinants of health should be assigned only when the documentation specifies that the patient has an associated problem or risk factor. So for example, not every individual living alone would be assigned code Z60.2, which is problems related to living alone. And I think this is going to cause quite a stir in the coding community because when I see that these SDOHs most of the time uh, being listed, they're mostly listed in the history's information, but I'm not seeing any documentation on how the SDOH is related to an associated problem or risk factor directly. And many times this impact is kind of inferred from the information in the record, but not fully documented specifically by the provider. And this is saying now that you actually have to do that. So this is an important clarification that you have to show that risk, which I think it's actually good that they put that in there because that's a problem when, again, you're, you're reporting HCC codes for your Medicare Advantage risk adjustment, and you don't want to get you don't want to get in trouble for coding something that may not have an impact to that patient's overall risk for that encounter that day. Chapter five, the mental behavioral and neurodevelopmental disorders. Um, we have some new vascular dementia codes, um, unspecified dementia codes, and a lot of the codes were expanded based on severity. So mild, moderate, or severe and with or without behavioral disturbances. I actually was talking about this earlier this week, and I think that the dementia codes also got expanded because of long haul COVID. Remember that foggy brain and people are still saying that they feel like they have maybe some mild dementia because it's, it's an impacting their daily life and just some, you know, mainly instrumental activities. It's, you don't need you know, assistance all the time, but occasionally you need some help. And I think that has something to do with it. But that's just that's just me just projecting. I'm just thinking that's what I'm seeing, not saying that it, it, it's exactly what it is. But I th definitely think it's um, part of that from based on what I've, I'm reading. Okay, what else? Official guidelines also has talked about and just I mentioned the complication but they talk about infectious guidelines as well. So HIV infections, where it's instructed to code B21 first, was updated to include an exception to this guideline as if the reason for the admission 
is the hemolytic uh, uremic syndrome associated with HIV. So they give you some more information as far as um, how to show that they could be synonymous uh, in that area. And that's very sensitive, especially if you're coding that as a principal diagnosis, that they want the underlying systemic infection and any other conditions uh, assigned a secondary diagnosis. So if you have severe sepsis or something, then that's something that has to be uh, added to that. So a lot of definitely some updates there that I thought, okay, well, this is interesting. One of the codes that I saw was that we're going to have a new code for transitioning from pediatric um, care to adult medicine. That's awesome. Um, just a count on the dementia codes. We had 87 new codes there, 168 endometriosis codes. Um, we also, they're telling you to round down for gestational um diagnoses. So if you are 38 weeks and seven days pregnant, um, you have to, or six days pregnant, you're actually 38. They don't want you to go up to 37. So um, make sure that you're kind of looking at that as well. Here's one. And again, I'm going to shout out Christine because I think this is funny. They have some new accident codes and one is for electric bike and electric vehicles. So uh, they actually had 40 new ones there. They also have a new code for now we have one for non-compliant patient which is very generic, but now we have one for non-compliant with provider's orders. So it's one physician who's not compliant in their care, but another one not compliant specifically to what the doctor told them to do. So that, that would be a, a huge difference. And I also want to encourage you to get your code book this year. ICD-10 is tough because I know that you can get it for free. They have it on the CDC website, they have it on the Medicare website, um, and so an HHS website, so you can actually download the code sets for free. But because we have, you know, over almost 1200 new codes this year, we have new documentation guidelines, I'm buying my book. So you, some of you go every other year for that when you're looking at budgets. This year, you need it. So I would encourage you to get your book. APC actually has the least expensive one. So that's the one I would use. But um, definitely look into that. I found a code also in the uh, e-code section. Well, I always call them e-codes. I can't believe I still do that. In the injury code section, the external causes, which is now V-codes in some respect, burn due to water skis on fire. There's a code V91.07XA. I can't believe I said E-codes. Boy, do I um, see? I have that COVID fog still from 2020. That is absolutely crazy. Okay, so let's take a look at some last things here. So I wanted to talk to you about something that I've been seeing actually coded incorrectly lately, and that was hypertensive crisis, urgency, and emergency coding. So there are codes to describe hypertensive crisis in ICD-10-CM, and it's category I-16. And you want to go to I-10 to 15 if you have accelerated or malignant hypertension. That's not this category. So hypertensive crisis definition means there's a severe rapid increase in blood pressure with a systolic, the top number, of 180 or higher, and a diastolic bottom number of 120 or higher. This can lead to damaged blood vessels when they become inflamed and then they leak um, fluid or even blood. And then this can result in the heart not being able to pump the blood effectively. And then when patients present with a hypertensive crisis, immediate evaluation is needed to figure out what their organ fun function is at that point, and then rule out any organ damage and determine what the appropriate treatment is. Okay, so 
Let's take a look at this to see if we are in hypertensive crisis and it's divided into two categories. One is urgent and one is emergency. So urgent means extremely high blood pressure, but patient is not suspected to have any damage to any organs. And then of course, emergency would be extremely high blood pressure, which has caused damage to organs. Now, there are many causes for hypertensive crisis, and they could include uh, medication noncompliance. So make sure you're also looking up that diagnosis because you'll need it, or medication reaction or interaction uh, with other drugs. You could have stroke, MI, heart failure, renal failure. Maybe there was an abdominal aorta rupture. Um, I've seen this in uh, eclampsia during pregnancy. Sign or symptoms of hypertension crisis could also be uh, severe chest pain or shortness of breath, um, severe headache that may be associated with some kind of blurred vision or confusion or seizures, uh, including uh, nausea and vomiting, unresponsiveness, maybe nosebleeds, etc. So hypertensive crisis is uncommon in children, um, but if a sudden severe increase in a child's blood pressure occurs, they would be require immediate intervention. Otherwise, that can be absolutely harmful. But it's it's mostly adult category. So when it, when the documentation supports a code from the category I-16 hypertensive crisis, the sequencing of the code is based on the circumstance of admission. So the reason for the admission or the encounter. And then the coder would code any hypertensive disease that they had switching to the I-10 to I-15. And this example comes from the AHA coding clinic, fourth quarter, 2016, page 27. Always look at that AHA coding clinic. That's the American Hospital Association because they basically write the book on ICD-10-CM and some of the PCS direction. And we want to make sure we're accurate on that. Okay, well, that is it for me today. My uh, personal tidbit, I mentioned my pool was done, so I was able to get in several times this week. It's been so great to take a break during the day and just go out, be in the pool for about an hour, come back in and just get to work again. It gives you that mind vacation. And I put on LinkedIn this week, I said, so what are you guys doing to avoid burnout and to take that um, break? And so it was kind of nice to see I saw Misty had said she goes out into her garden and John says he goes for a walk in the woods. And my friend Doris said that she has a hammock and a good book. So everyone make sure that you are taking that, that time just for that vacation. It's really important. I'm just talking about even a half hour to get out outside and figure it out because you're headed to burnout if you don't have a break. So you just have to take that break. Of course, on Sunday's my break, we're back to NFL. Thank you Steelers for winning the re most ridiculous game I've ever seen in my life. Um, we went into overtime, nobody was winning back and forth. I mean, the kickers weren't making field goals and they were doinking off the side of the, of the bars. And then finally, in the very last seconds, after CBS said, oh, we have to show you the Chargers game. And my husband and I were screaming. Um, we finally won 23 to 20. So don't have Big Ben this year, but I've, I've got five fantasy teams and that's part of my vacation too. I love my football. So everyone, make it a great day, a great rest of your week. And thank you for listening to the CodeCast podcast. For more information on medical coding, billing, auditing and compliance, including how to hire Terry, follow Terry on Twitter at TerryCoder1 or visit her website at www.terryfletcher.net. Podcast producer Joe Kuzma. Music producer Assassin Music. <laughs>